0: Welcome along everyone to Becoming Mandela. It's lovely to have you with us. I'm Dave Corteen and I've been so privileged to host all 23 episodes to date. You know, I think that the series so far has really helped me to understand the person I am and how I can become the best version of that person. I hope you're finding the same too. We're close to the end of the book and today is all about how we can grow up, no matter what age we're at, into the best person we can be. Here's Trevor to explain with a great analogy.
1: I often think of it like a vine. So we live here near a vineyard, beautiful vineyard. And they've just ripped out a whole field of vines because they were just getting too old and less productive. And they've just planted, last year, rows of new vines. So at the moment, they look like young, healthy babies. They're all growing up. They all look like nice green shoots and, you know, all look like it's going well, except for the ones that are failing to thrive. And those ones, either they get attention or they're pulled up and new ones are planted. So that's how it begins with this vine. But then when the vine really starts growing, it starts pushing out these different branches, suckers and all the rest of it. And... That's where it gets scary watching these people who run the vines because they come along with a pair of scissors and they cut off these long shoots. Why do they cut them off? Is because those long shoots are a distraction to the core purpose of the vine, which is to produce fruit. If those bits of tendrils go all over the place, all the energy shoots off and the core doesn't grow strong. And fruitful so that's what happens with us is those parts of us that are neglected or wounded or lacking or needy we start building behaviors and attitudes and ways of being in the world that start sending out shoots so a kid in the classroom starts behaving badly kid in the classroom goes very quiet goes very introverted doesn't get involved Kid in the classroom starts becoming a bully to other kids. Kid in the classroom becomes very compliant. You know, so all these behaviors begin to start forming as ways of, uh, of expressing and adapting what's been going on in this young plant. So if you don't deal with it, if you don't somehow tend to the vine, the energy shoots off and these things just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And grow. So is the vine growing? Well, at one level, it's like us. It grows physically. Yeah. Is it fruitful? No. No, it's not. It's actually becoming less and less fruitful the longer we don't deal with those things.
0: So before we jump in, just a quick reminder to like or share a link to our podcast on social media. Leave us a review or a rating on iTunes or send us some feedback direct. Trevor and I love to hear from you. Right, here we go, on with the show. everyone, welcome back to the next episode of Becoming Mandela. Trevor and I are here and we're delighted that you've joined us. We're kind of at the stage now on this podcast series where we're rounding up all the different character traits that we've looked at and learning how we can apply them in this desire to become the best version of ourselves. Today's episode is entitled Growing Up and I suppose my first question to you Trevor would be, well, Kind of, what's at the heart of this episode? Because to a certain extent, we all just have to grow up, don't we? That's that's part of uh, that's part of life. So, what's what's growing up in the context of this episode of becoming Mandela?
1: Well, a phrase that I use is we all grow older, but we don't necessarily grow elder, <laughs> which is what the book is about. So, yes, we grow up uh, physically because that's what the body does. If it's fed and watered and looked after, it grows up. It accumulates age. It has an aging process. So, yeah, that happens. Um, But that's only one dimension of growing up. And we make a, a very false assumption if we assume, because we are growing up physically, that we are growing up in other areas of who we are as human beings because we're not just physical we're emotional we're mental we're volitional we're spiritual we are all of these aspects so are all of those areas growing because that doesn't happen automatically it happens because of a process that we call growing up that doing or as psychologists often say doing the work yeah. of growing up so do you
0: think that the way we kind of develop and evolve the growing up, if you like, that we do as adults is influenced by the experiences that we
1: have when we're
0: when we're younger, when we're children?
1: Oh, hugely, hugely. If you run the camera back to when any of us are tiny tots, so this child is born into the world and, of course, is absorbing all the time. And there's some fundamental questions to be answered is, um, am I safe? Is this safe? Because if they're not safe, you can see in the child's body that they are panicking and traumatic if they don't feel safe. Um, and safe, um, it, it it could be that I'm not swaddled with a blanket or something. But am I safe? Um, am I loved? Am I getting sensory feedback that the The people around me want me to be here, that they put a value on me. They like me. So that whole issue of the adult smiling at the child, um, the looking, the gazing are all fundamental. And as those uh, things are happening around this baby, the baby is forming a view of itself. I am loved and I'm safe. So. In a perfect world, or a good enough world, that's, that's happening. But now imagine where, often for no bad reason, it doesn't happen. And the child feels or experiences, actually I don't feel safe. Or actually I don't feel loved. That creates pain. And that pain is felt initially physically in the child. You can see it. When um, in-depth therapists are being trained, they are trained by spending hours observing tiny, tiny babies, just watching and seeing for themselves what actually goes on. So the child is learning, soaking in, and forming attitudes about itself and about the world. It experiences pain. Now, it's got to do something with that pain, and often it screams out. Now, what if it screams out and no one's there? Then the world's really unsafe In fact it's terrifying in fact it's traumatic and all of those experiences are logged initially in the body not in the head so the body comes first and then there are emotions around it you can see children tiny tiny babies getting frustrated and angry or happy and relaxed and you can see all those emotions and then comes thought <laughs> We start eventually putting words and stories, narratives, to whatever's going on. And I think all that's important to understand because it means we are well underway to being shaped (laughs) at a very young age. Now, that picture that we're forming of ourselves is either confirmed. So a child growing up in in a more uncaring or an abusive household will repeatedly experience lack of safety, lack of love. So those patterns that it had been experiencing get deeper and deeper and deeper. It it, it then becomes, this is who they are. And and they start behaving in ways that act out this. For a child that experiences, you know, predominantly a sense of belonging and love, that's who they become, much more relaxed, much more able to engage and relate to their world and the people in their world and feel okay about themselves. So that's the beginning of the growing up process. But if I often think of it like a vine, so we live here near a vineyard, beautiful vineyard, and they've just ripped out a whole field of vines because they were just getting too old and less productive. And they've just planted last year, rows of new vines. So at the moment, they look like young, healthy babies. They're all growing up. They all look like nice green shoots and, you know, all look like it's going well, except for the ones that are failing to thrive. And those ones, either they get attention or they're pulled up and new ones are planted. So that's how it begins with this vine. But then when the vine really starts growing, it starts pushing out these different branches, suckers and all the rest of it. And that's where it gets scary watching these people who run the vines because they come along with a pair of scissors and they cut off these long shoots. Why do they cut them off? Is because those long shoots are a distraction to the core purpose of the vine, which is to produce fruit. If those bits of tendrils go all over the place, all the energy shoots off. And the core doesn't grow strong and fruitful. So that's what happens with us, is those parts of us that are neglected or wounded or lacking or needy. We start building behaviors and attitudes and ways of being in the world that start sending out shoots. So a kid in the classroom starts behaving badly, a kid in the classroom goes very quiet goes very introverted it doesn't get involved kid in the classroom starts becoming a bully to other kids kid in the classroom becomes very compliant you know so all these behaviors begin to start forming as ways of uh, of expressing and adapting what's been going on in this young plant so if you don't deal with it if you don't somehow tend to the vine the energy shoots off and these things just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, and grow. So is the vine growing? Well, at one level, it's like us. It grows physically. Yeah. Is it fruitful? No. No, it's not. It's actually becoming less and less fruitful the longer we don't deal with those things. So as we grow up and as we form some basic ways of relating to ourselves and the world, if you don't deal with it, it gets more and more life, more and more energy and develops more and more behaviours. And then we start forming our adult behaviours on those and then it becomes our character and this is who we are and, well, Dave's always like that. He's always been like that. You know, that's where we end up. So that is my kind of 101 lesson in, in, in growing. So the underlying assumption is, do we grow up physically? Yes. Do we grow up fruitfully? In terms of our best potential, no, not necessarily.
0: I love that analogy with the vineyard. I think that's that's brilliant and speaks so powerfully to us. So The thing that's occurring to me is that whilst we've been shaped by the experiences that are behind us, we can't look back and kind of undo what's happened because those experiences, whatever's happened to us in childhood, whether they be good, bad, or indifferent, they are just that, they are our experiences of childhood. They've clearly influenced who we are now. But how do we how do we therefore try and make sure that we grow up to use your phrase, that we that we go in and do the work of of weeding out or taking off the distractions and the and the parts of us that are
1: growing in the wrong direction, so to speak? Big question. So it's probably going to start with self-awareness. And self-awareness comes either through disease. I'm going to just say that slowly now. Dis-ease. I notice in myself a dis-ease about certain things. <clears throat> so I tune into my dis-ease. And so that gives me a clue. Hmm. wonder if there's a problem. I wonder if there's something here. I wonder what that's about. So we'll dig into that in a minute. So I think dis-ease is one thing, and I think the other thing is feedback from others um, who reflect back to us what they're noticing, what they're seeing. Um, so I think we start there probably on those things, is that that level of feedback from people.
0: Yes, yeah, so how do we seek that out? On the one level we want to encourage feedback in a work setting that that kind of can happen through appraisals and that sort of thing but in our life away from work it's not so easy to do that is it so how would you sort of encourage us to to get that kind of feedback from those that are around us
1: yeah and it's interesting conundrum that one day because we say it's harder and i agree it is but let's say you get involved in a relationship with someone else and it becomes important you know love is emerging or bursting forth or um and you say to them actually why don't you say to your partner could you give me some feedback could you tell me patterns of behavior that you notice in me that look like they're unproductive now if you say that to is it most people many people they freak out it's like, whoa, no way I'm going to go and set myself up for that one. No way I'm going to go and ask because, you know, I don't know what they might say and they might hurt me. And, you know, whoa, I'm just going to stay away from that conversation. Now, sometimes it's a good reason to stay. If, if there is a history of abuse, you absolutely want to stay away from that. But here's a, I'm talking about a situation where two people seemingly seem like they love each other. Why would you not be able to go and have that conversation? and the answer is because something inside me is fragile something inside me is frightened of being hurt something inside me is frightened of someone creating some inner pain about who i am but isn't that the problem we're talking about yeah so even our very reluctance to get feedback is a good sign that there's something going on there right and that i used the example i think last time of um, uh, Jane saying to me, uh, seems like like sometimes you're you're always just looking for something to be angry about. And I said, two years or so ago, if she would have said that, I'd have got very defensive. Now, what's defense about? Defense is to protect. In other words, I'd have taken that comment as a criticism. Jane thinks there's something wrong with me. Therefore, I don't feel loved by her. That hurts. When we feel pain, our first reaction is not to say "I feel pain." is to strike back in defence. So I got angry, which would have proved her point perfectly. But <laughs> um, see what I mean? Is is actually these opportunities to notice the areas of growth are actually around you all the time. You walk into a room and the conversation's going on, and you notice I actually feel a little bit anxious. Don't really want to get involved in that. I've sat in meetings, business meetings. Maybe it's just me, but I've sat there thinking this doesn't feel safe. And if someone says, "Well, we're going to be ruthlessly honest in this meeting. I think we should just really like rip off the veneer, and we're going to absolutely tell each other for the the truth." And and I'm sitting there terrified. Now, where does the terror come from? Because what I'm experiencing in that moment is not a new emotion. I'm experiencing an old emotion. Mm. So I've got a clue right there. So just walking through life and noticing where I feel tense, where I want to avoid, where I can feel myself tensing up, where I'm getting defensive, these are all just signs that something's going on inside of here that is offering me the chance to pay attention to it. So, like I said right at the beginning of this whole thing, you know, life is the classroom. To learn what it means to become an elder, this is a prime example.
0: And part of the way that we learn is by being able to accept and understand where we've got things wrong. And that's actually what, yeah. you know, effectively you're saying is that. You know, In a work situation, we can probably just about cope with it. But when we're outside of a work situation, it's our friends or our wow. partners or whatever, it, it's so much more difficult to accept um, feedback about yeah. areas that we should improve. Yeah.
1: And it's not necessarily that we've done anything wrong. It's just simply that they're touching on pain. They're touching on areas in ourselves that are wounded. And, and they're wounded and not healed. So we've put some layers of armor or protection over them. And, and we've touched on it before, you know, the work of Brené Brown has been to say, actually, vulnerability is probably the most important thing in relationships and in leadership is vulnerability. And what's vulnerability? Vulnerability says, you know what? I'm a work in progress. I am a work in progress. If you touch that part of me, it hurts and i'm i've probably got some defensive reactions that i'm i'm trying to work on them and and make that a little bit better so, but vulnerability is evidence of growth there is a tenderness in vulnerability that says there's growth happening which is different than fragility which is keep away from me if you touch this area of me it's going to be too painful stay away
0: sure so tell us a little bit about what we can learn from from mandela in this situation
1: yeah let me give give a couple of examples so if we take an area of growth and again i think we've touched on this before so as this little baby grows it is by definition as a tiny top quite narcissistic as in it's about me it's all Mm. about me the world is about me and that's quite normal. Now, we grow out of that as we begin to interact and relate to the world. We go, actually, it's not just about me. It's about me and them and then me and us. And, uh, and we begin to develop a move from that kind of narcissism to an individualism to a much more uh, from an I to a we, tribal, ethno, the word ethno, or tribal centeredness. Um, and if we continue in our awareness in our growth pattern we actually realize we're not just part of a tribe or a group that our tribal group is part of other tribes and group actually we're part of a world and an interdependent globe which is part of an interdependent universe so growth path means I move from egocentric ethnocentric or tribal centric global centric universal centric That is the growth pattern that is available to us. So I give you that backing to Mandela because Mandela is growing up and he's part of a tribe. He's part of a group and he's part of an actual tribe Hmm. within South Africa and he's part of a tribe in terms of color. Um, Now, if he was stuck in that stage of his growth, he couldn't have ended apartheid because his view of the world would have been us and them because ethno or tribal centric growth level relies on having another someone to be against they're not us it's us versus them that's you know it's what war is all about us versus them um if Mandela was stuck in an ethnocentric level of personal development, he would have looked at South Africa and he'd said, let's kill all the whites. Yeah. How do you get to a place that says, no, I'm not going to kill all the whites. What I'm looking is to create a nation where black, colored, and white, which is how they would explain it in South Africa, are part of one nation, one nation interdependent, highly differentiated, but one rainbow nation. You can only think like that if your level of consciousness is global and universal centric. In other words, you have grown up inside of yourself to get over yourself, over your tribe, to all of us. That is a personal development. So Mandela, if he hadn't grown up, could not have ended apartheid. So that's one example. Another example, we know that when the young Mandela arrives in Soweto as a young but lawyer, uh, you know he's full of arrogance, full of ego, as well as passionate around justice. It's a real mixed bag. Let's say he did not grow up. <laughs> He would have remained egocentric and arrogant. Now, the thing about arrogance is, you know, you can shine for a while with your giftedness, but after a while, you're going to hack people off. And people are going to not trust you because that's what happens in the end. If we feel that people are treating us badly or using us or it's all about them, and you've seen this in business, when any team begins to see that the leader is all about them, the the team loses trust in the leader. So if Mandela had stayed at that egocentric level of his own development, he wouldn't have been able to build trust. He wouldn't have been able to lead people. He wouldn't have been able to lead a group. He wouldn't have been able to lead within the ANC. He wouldn't have been able to lead a nation because everyone would have instantly said, but he's just all about himself. And you only know, need to look at British politics right now. And you know, what is the utter distraction? And it's all about narcissism and egocentricity. That's what it's about. That is a developmental issue. That's a growth issue. Unattended over many decades grows up and becomes actually very, very dangerous.
0: So. Bearing that last point in mind, particularly, how do we how do we work on our kind of emotional development? Because that's you know physical development happens yeah. without us really thinking about yeah. it, but emotional development we've got to be proactively wanting to do that, haven't we, Trevor? Yeah.
1: So how, how do we go about doing it? So we've touched on some of it. One is about awareness, just waking up to yourself and your reactions and noting where you are responding and reacting in different situations, where you're feeling a little bit tense, a little bit insecure, what situations make you angry, not angry. Um, So something happened recently, and this is what Jane and I were talking about, anger is I I just said to her, I said, I still feel really angry about this particular situation. Uh, And she said to me very wisely, she said, it's probably not about that situation at all. It's probably sitting on something in you that it's just bouncing off. I thought, yeah, it probably is. So we'll, so that's, that's feedback. So one is awareness. I was aware that I was still angry about it. Second one then is feedback. Feedback says, yeah, look, let me hold up a mirror, Trevor. This is what I'm seeing or experiencing. And, and that feeding back from someone who you trust – is really, really powerful in the healing process. Because if you think the issue of love and belonging sits at the heart of the damage, if you can sit with a friend who says, Dave, I see you, and I, I see that anxiety, I see that anger or whatever, but they see you, in a, and but they're still with you. They've still got the eye contact. They're still loving you. They're supporting you. They're not saying, I see you and I'm going to walk away. They're saying, I see you and I'm with you. And what that does is it gives you an experience of being seen and loved. And because you've had that experience, you've now got a new experience to put alongside those old experiences. Now, if you had a lot of those good experiences, it begins to heal and reshape and give you a different resource, which is why people go into therapy. Right. Because one of the reasons about therapy is it's a a longer term relational experience. And, um, you know, all the work that's been done on why why therapy works or which therapies work, they all come back to the same thing. They all say it's the relationship between the therapist and the client. Because it's love. At the end of the day, it's love that changes people. And it's the experience of love. So being in a relationship with someone who can sit with you in those more difficult parts of yourself will facilitate growth. Definitely. Um, just being in a loving relationship and learning how to stay in it will be a healing factor. And let me just explain the last part of that comment is fall in love with someone and, and it seems like everything's wonderful. Um, And what can happen as the years go by is you begin to realize actually this other person isn't the magician that I thought they were. Actually, I now begin to see their individuality and actually they're very different than me. I thought they were the same actually they're quite different. So all that's normal. And when we begin to experience the differences, sometimes it creates conflict and those conflicts increase because we don't know what to do with them and it creates distance and and the relationship breaks down. But if we are able to stay with the difficulty and work out what not what is the problem in them, but what is this problem that I'm having with them telling me about me? How can I grow up? Most relationship issues are I need to grow up. Not you need to grow up, I need to grow up. It's the bit I can take responsibility for. How do I grow up here? So I think being in close relationships over long periods of time um, actually can facilitate healing. Therapy can facilitate healing. Feedback, truth telling, just being present with another person, and and being able to say this is how I experience you right now, and giving them an experience of kindness what happens with a lot of this damage inside of ourselves is it hurts and we want to strike back so we develop an unkindness but often the unkindness is not just towards the other person it's towards ourselves. we become unkind to ourselves so we have to discover a kind voice and if you said trevor what's the hardest part of growing up that you have had to learn i would say it's that finding a kinder voice to myself Has been probably the most difficult and challenging part of the growing up process, because I didn't have one. I didn't have it. I, you know, because of what happened, I grew up with a very critical voice, a very punishing voice. Um, You know, it's like being in a street fight with yourself, and yourself would lose because you'd beat yourself up. You know, it's that kind of. So, so finding a kinder voice, because a lot of people have got quite lacerating voices that they quickly jump to oh i'm useless oh i'm no good i knew i was no good at that oh they don't like me oh i don't match up i don't belong here you know we've got those unkind voices so finding another voice uh, a kinder voice and there are forms of meditation that can help with that and you know so the buddhist compassionate meditation actually applies to any religion and no religion it's just a form of meditation that allows you to begin to practice kindness towards yourself so
0: i mean i was going to go on to ask from from there that you know growing up is something that, and, and identifying the areas of our uh, emotional development that we need to work on is something we we actually need others to help us as well mm. as being able to do it on our own and i guess the question that that came out as i was listening to your to your last answer really is so for those of us that aren't in that kind of close relationship where we can mm. ask our partners those questions how do we find the right space and the way to actually facilitate our our growing up because mm. there's a different dynamic in, the, in there yes yeah.
1: i think i want to just question the relationships that we do have and ask ourselves, why is it that we don't have those conversations? Because if the reasons why we don't have those conversations is it's unsafe to have those conversations, this comes back to when we talked about waking up and levels of consciousness is we're not going to change because we're going to keep on operating at the same level. So our self-protection and our self-defensiveness keep us not having those conversations. So how do you start having a conversation? Well, you start. (laughs) How do you begin to make yourself a little bit more vulnerable? That's the question. How do you develop vulnerability a little bit more and a little bit more? And, you know, get one of Brené Brown's books on vulnerability or something, but... How do you just take a little step of vulnerability? Um, Because if you take a little step, and of course it will feel anxious because, you know, is this safe? And the other person responds okay, then you've made it a little bit safer. Yeah. For them to now be a bit vulnerable with you. And you've made it a bit more safe for you to be a bit more vulnerable with them. So we grow vulnerability. Now, if you are doing that, then you're growing up. That's what's happening. You are growing up because you are addressing those deeply protected areas that we've protected from being hurt and protected from growing up. You're now kind of letting the sunlight in. And, and opening that up a little bit. So I would just say, have a look at the relationships that you do have. And where could I begin to just take a little bit of, of a step? You know, how did, how did you feel about that situation? Well, actually, I, I felt a little bit unsettled. I felt a little bit anxious. Felt a little bit wobbly. And kind of wondering why that is. And the other person might say, yeah, I felt a bit wobbly as well. I was like, well, that's interesting. I wonder what that's about. Get curious. Now, if you open up a bit and they don't open up, then, you know, it's thinking about, well, how did you then, and this is kind of bravery next them, say to them, that felt a little bit awkward. I felt like I kind of took some of my clothes off there and. It felt like you were uncomfortable with that so address the lack of mutual self-disclosure because they might not be aware of their own defensiveness sure so you're giving them an opportunity to grow um so look at the relationships that you do have i would say we've touched on therapy therapy is i don't I, I, I actually contract with someone to get into that kind of relationship because the areas I want to talk about are deep or messy or uncertain. So I need to be able to talk about them in a safe place where I don't have to see that person, <clears throat> you know, for, for 6.9 days a week. I don't have to see them um, and they're not going to be in my home and they're not going to be in my workplace. I can kind of have a safe place to begin to deal with that stuff. Um, And I think in the work situation, sometimes a good coach can begin that process. Uh, A coach who is more therapeutically aware is not going to be your therapist. They're not going to be into the deep, deep stuff uh, about what went on in your childhood or whatever. But they, they may be able to facilitate a slightly more vulnerable conversation for you. So I think there's some of the ways to begin.
0: Sure, and looking back at my own sort of you know, growing up that I've done, I, I would say that actually just time and awareness has kind of helped me to to deepen my emotional development. And so I suppose I just wanted to get your your take on: Do sometimes we, you know, it's the old phrase that you can't buy experience. Do we sometimes just need to? have been doing life for a bit longer to be able to realize the, the kind of the ways that we can do that better.
1: Yes, and I think it's my response, because everyone on the planet has got experience, but not everyone has got wisdom. It comes back to the wisdom thing we, we looked at in previous weeks. So you can have these experiences but if you are not processing and becoming curious about your own experience then it won't lead to growth it will lead to experience whereas the wisdom is you've had experiences and you begin to get curious and think well yeah do you know what i think i've been like that for the last 20 years so that's kind of the experience and the curiosity is well i wonder what that's about Because it kind of was fine when I was 25, but it doesn't feel so good when I'm 45, and it certainly doesn't feel good at 55. So what's that about? Now, that's a curiosity. Now, we're into the process of getting wisdom. Now, that is a growth process. Absolutely. Great. Okay.
0: So... Before we come on to the questions, is there anything else that you want to kind of just leave with us about this whole process of of, of growing up that I you think feel we've
1: not... the we've only thing I'd leave us with is the importance of it. I don't know whether you ever watched the television series Ally McBeal.
0: Oh, one of my favourites. All right.
1: Well, okay. I only quote Ally McBeal because it kind of captures this image. There were moments in Ally McBeal where... The adult Ali McBeal would be there, but there would be kind of this little baby talking. And it was trying to capture that, you know, in the room is this adult. You're looking at me as an adult. I'm looking at you as an adult. We go into our meetings at work, at home, and everybody is all grown up. But actually inside is often a little child uh, who's panicking, screaming, banging its fists on the table, you know, and there was that wonderful images in Ali McBeal that tried to capture that uh, dynamic. So, I, I think I just want to say this is really important because it's about how you show up in life, and when someone shows up in an adult body who hasn't grown up, uh, we can we spot it, we notice it. Uh, and we often we call it immaturity or something. we we find words mm. to say oh they're a bit immature in that area or some response. No, and what we're just saying is they haven't grown up in that area. so we notice it and it influences us. And if Mandela had been an amazing leader, gifted leader, which clearly he was with a an, but hadn't grown up. His charisma might have got him into a position of power, but his lack of growth would have destroyed it. Right. And there is a saying, if I can get somewhere near it, which is it's basically your your level of growth. Now, let's try and get this around the right way it's like your gift can only take you so far your gift can get you right out there into the public your success your whatever but only your growth your character can keep you there and some people get to positions of prominence or power some people get into relationships because they go in shining with all their peacock feathers out and it wins the charm and the heart of the other person that's their giftedness but it's only your character your growth can keep you there so if that isn't there if the growth isn't there to support the gift or the talent it will crumble
0: sure I like that yeah that 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 um that makes sense that yeah that, that's good so it's time for you to kind of help us with our with our growing up by by leaving us some um some questions to to go away and consider and i'll try and um, give some responses now great
1: okay so the first question is what kind of help or input has most helped you to grow up and how what's your experience yeah uh,
0: i've talked about him before on other podcasts but when I was at university, I, um, I met Guy who's been now a lifelong friend, uh, Steve, um, and we went into, into business together. And I think actually the level of trust and the bond that we have that was formed at university, but has come through the fact that we've gone through running this business together, has helped me grow up with very different characters. And so he would always be challenging and questioning some of the decisions, the actions and the behaviors, really, that that I've had. And so I'd credit him with a huge amount of of help being me to grow up because we've had to find, I think the interesting thing with, with Steve and I is that we've had to find a way to disagree intelligently. So we're going to see things different. We are going to, you know, have a have a diverse opinion. And that's partly what I think has been the the bedrock of the success, if indeed we've been successful. But thirty-four years on we're still we're still going and we're still in business. So I guess that in some respects is a success in its own right. And so by learning how to to debate and by learning how to have disagreements, but in an in intelligent way that didn't damage our relationship so we could see things very differently. We could have, you know, troubles in finding, well, what's the way through this? Because actually, you know, he wants to turn left and I want to turn right. So by, by answering those questions, I think that's, that's helped us to grow up. helped me to grow up. It's developed emotional intelligence because I've had to think through and challenge my own, or well, he's challenged my own thoughts and I've had to justify them. And at times when that's been difficult to do, I've kind of had to accept, well, do you know what? Maybe Steve was right in that instance. So I think for me that would be that would be the standout um, experience.
1: So what areas of your life do you see as being less than grown up? And and how do you see that affecting the way you are in the world, the decisions you make and how you treat others?
0: Yeah, I think for me, I grew up, or I am an only child. I've no brothers or sisters. So that whole aspect of how we are, how I've developed relationships with others, I think has been framed in the fact that I grew up as an only child and was therefore used to getting all the attention used to you know i suppose largely getting my own way and so that is an area that for me has always been something that i have battled with is i Mm. suppose would be the best phrase is you know this desire to be the center of attention and and you you were talking about peacock feathers earlier and i probably have been guilty at times of showing mine in certain situations where i felt that i wasn't um getting enough attention so so for me i think formed perhaps partly through that that experience mm. of growing up as an only child that that would be the area that's needed m- me to grow up more yeah, than I have done.
1: Mm. so the third question was um if you had the help of a friendly therapist right now um what area of your life would you want to talk about and say you know, here's an area I want some help with in growing up,
0: Trevor. We, we we've done twenty odd episodes of this. I feel like you've been my friendly therapist all <laughs> the way through this with the with the asking of the questions at the end of every of every one. I think for for me, yeah, the area that I would need the most amounts of help in right now would would probably be around that whole aspect of discerning the next steps so i think it feels for me like i'm in my mid-50s you know i've had my own business for for a number of years how do i grow from here to the next phase and i don't want to necessarily think that this is happening right now but i do need to think at some point about a how i hand the baton on the overall businesses that 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 Steve and I own and, and operate because that's closer now than it's ever been and feels like it's getting closer uh, quite quickly. And secondly, it's that point about, and when I do that, what is it that I'm going to do next? Because, you know, it's not about, for me, I'm not the type of person to sit around with my feet up. So it's how do I evolve my role and involve my skills into, being less involved in day-to-day stuff which I actually love and actually taking flying at a slightly higher altitude in order to oversee and support other things that are going on and I suppose for me that's something that I've got to learn to do is give up that day-to-day control and involvement and rolling my sleeves up that actually you know, I've thrived on right, and and how do I how do I become that person that can step back and provide advice when needed, but allow others to crack on yeah. with what they want to do.
1: And that's a great description. Thank you. That dynamic, because in a sense, that's what we're talking about is where what what's that part of me that needs to grow in order for these external things to happen? And you talk about you know, there's this power dynamic, and how do I let go? So that internal shift. Yeah, it's a great example.
0: Good. So there we go. I hope that's helped you think about growing up in a wholly different way to how you've uh, you've thought about it in the past. Certainly reading this chapter, talking to Trevor tonight has helped me to do exactly that and I hope that's the same for you. And do you know what? We're getting really close towards the end of the book. So next week we're going to look at the last chapter and then we'll decide where we're going to go from there. So stick with it. If you've been with us all the way through We've loved that fact. We appreciate it. Thanks for the feedback that many of you have given us. And next week, next time, we'll talk about the final chapter in Becoming Mandela. See you then.